Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the Mission Driven Mom. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. Thank you so much for reviewing this podcast and sharing it out with friends and family who may benefit from the information we provide here. I want to remind everyone that the sale that's going on in our new store is ending tonight. There is lots and lots of merchandise in there. Caps and beanies and sweatshirts and t-shirts for our Mission Driven Mom line and our Mission Driven Teen line. We have um, quite a few youth in our pilot program this year, and they were asking for their own sweatshirts and caps. So we've put those in there for them. Just want to make sure you catch that sale if there's that's something you're interested in doing. It also does apply to MDM products. So you can get 15% off the book, The Mission Driven Life, 15% off the Academy, and other offerings, past recordings of our MDM celebration and so forth. So go ahead and visit there at themissiondrivenmom.com in the store. You can also check out our new website. I talked about it for a long time on this podcast, and it's finally live. The success stories page is extremely beautiful and highlights many of the incredible moms that have participated in our programs and had great experiences with us. And Of course, you can learn more about the book and the Academy and the other offerings there. But we did finally launch it and uh, finally got the store ready and the merch ready for you. So that's really, really fun. I also want to let you know that I will be putting out a short podcast next week. And then I'm going to take a break for three or four weeks and get back to you in January. And we have some fun stuff we're going to start doing in the new year. We've been working together as a team, uh, bringing in some of our leadership team members to build an even more robust podcast program for you. We're going to start doing more interviews in our Mastermind Facebook group. So if you're not a member, go join the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind group so you can catch those lives. They'll probably be on Thursdays. We also are going to do some board discussions you are welcome to email at info at themissiondrivenmom.com or to go into the Mastermind Facebook group and post questions or concepts that you would like us to run discussions around. And we can get on and talk about those topics. We also thought we made every once in a while do discussions around books. And then, of course, mission-driven mom interviews and professional interviews with men and women who have expertise that can help us in our journey to become more mission-driven moms. So we're really excited about what we've been putting together for the podcast in the new year. It's going to be really awesome. So please join us for all of that. Today I'm going to spend just a few minutes with you talking about what I do when there's nothing that I can do. I thought about this topic because It's been a rough year for me. I think I've mentioned that a couple times on this podcast for a multitude of reasons um, because of my own personal growth that needed to take place and important lessons I needed to learn because of struggles within my family and just because 
of the growth necessary to move forward with MDM into you know, places I've never been before and do things I've never done before and lead in ways I never have. That can be scary and overwhelming. And I've had to lean in very heavily on the principles and practices that we teach, especially in level one of the Mission Driven Mom and, and level two in terms of identifying principles and living them. So I just want to talk for a few minutes today about some of the things that I've done this year. You'll recognize some of the principles and practices as I've mentioned them in previous podcasts and you can go back and listen to some of those for a more thorough discussion of them. You can also join the Academy if you're not a member yet to learn these in more depth as I don't have really time to explain them in detail, but I just want to talk to you about what I do when there's nothing that I can do. Here's what I mean by that. There are many things in life that feel just completely out of our control, whether it's a rebellious child, the loss of income, a chronic illness or chronic pain, the death of someone, someone in your life who you love, who you feel isn't making good choices and that pains you. Those are situations that sometimes we just feel like, well, there's nothing I can do. And then, you know, for the God-fearing man or woman, sometimes we'll say, well, pray for them which of course is obviously a very legitimate thing to do. And it is something that you can do when there's nothing that you can do. But I have a list of over a dozen things that I do when there's nothing I can do. And I'm telling you that it has made all these things, these principles and concepts that I'm going to list off. And I'm just going to give you a few examples of a few things that I've done and how I've done them. They are making a tremendous difference in my life. I just can't even begin to tell you how they are buoying me up and carrying me. Now, of course, they're God's principles. So it's really him doing the work. And also, as I strive to live his principles that he's taught me more thoroughly, I feel him buoying me up. And I just also, in general, my earnestness in seeking him out has helped me feel a greater measure of his love. And this really hit home. I mean, I I knew that I was doing much better now than I was a few months ago. Um, and I knew that these practices were making a big difference in my life. But very recently, I had someone reach out to me who doesn't have all of these tools and principles. Now, she has God. She has her faith. She has her religious practices. She definitely loves God. She definitely prays. She definitely tries to utilize, you know, and, and those are important things to do. And she's doing better than someone else would be doing that wasn't doing those things. So those things are very, very important to do. But she's gone through some of the same trials that I've gone through this year. And she reached out to me recently just absolutely devastated and discouraged, having a hard time getting out of bed at night, worrying in the middle of the night and not able to go to sleep. And it really hit me hard that I have some tools that she doesn't have and that they are working and that they are making a huge difference. And I just felt even more gratitude in that moment for the truths that, that I've been able to discover and that others have taught me 
and I feel an even deeper measure of gratitude to them, to those that have written the books and taught the concepts, those that have mentored me and loved me and supported me and befriended me. And so I'm really excited to just share a few of these tools that I'm using because I feel so at peace and so hopeful and so optimistic as a result of these practices. And they're going to sound familiar. They're going to sound like the things that I've talked about before. But as I've brought them to bear, I mean, I've literally (laughs) been like, okay, what else can I do? Because there's nothing I can do, right? There's nothing I can do about a handful of situations. They feel totally out of my control. I'm, they're causing me pain and I want them to change. And all I can work on is me. All I can change is me. It's interesting because my husband is the kind of person that, and and I'm like this too, to, to a large degree, that when something's going wrong, his tendency is to want to say the right thing. You know, if we just go to this person and we just say all the right things, then everything will be different. Everything will be better. And <laughs> it just doesn't usually work. You know, he's tried it. I've tried it. You've probably tried it. People have to change when they're ready. They have to be prepared at their own pace. And usually unsolicited advice falls flat. So when I'm in these circumstances and these worries flood my mind and seem to overwhelm me, I do engage in these practices. And I will tell you that I have sometimes been up to two or more hours a day in the practices I'm going to list. Now, that's what I'm telling you. It's not like you're just going to spend a few minutes and things are going to go better. If you really want these principles to change you when you're in a situation where there's nothing you can do, then do these things because there's so much you can do. So, so much you can do. And if you will give yourself the time to do it, you know, I come into my closet I'm in my closet actually right now because I couldn't make it over to the office to record this podcast. And so I'm surrounded by some of the things that I'm going to talk to you about in the next few minutes. And I gave myself the time to get myself right. And then when I came out of my closet, I could have a better day. I could be more prepared for the challenges I was going to meet that day. And most of those challenges were going to be in my own mind. It was going to be my own, has been my own battle with myself. Someone who was a better person than me, who was, you know, had better skills, tools, practices, you know, was spiritually, emotionally superior to me, would not have had the same challenges I had this year. I mean, honestly, I think that sometimes we don't realize that our responses are our responses. They're not the responses. You know, we talk to people as if our response to circumstances is the right way to respond or the only way to respond because we just have this lens, you know, that we see the world through. We have these sets of beliefs and paradigms and and we think we're seeing it clearly, but we don't necessarily see it clearly. And sometimes when we spend time with people that are very different from us, we have the opportunity for them to teach us other ways to respond to the problems that we face. Now, if we don't just discount their response and tell them that their response is wrong, and tell them that they should think about things differently, if we actually pay attention to how they respond to the troubles that we face and they respond differently, it's actually a fantastic lesson. Because sometimes they might respond worse than us and, and, 
And there have been plenty of times when I've told people about some struggle that I'm facing and they just are like, oh, that's the worst thing that could ever happen. I don't know how you're even surviving. And I'm like, it's not that bad, you know, because I'm at a better place about this specific thing. Whereas I've also had the opposite experience where I'm just kind of a mess and they're like, oh, that's not that bad. <laughs> so you get what I'm saying. So anyway, I'm going to just talk for a few minutes. Now I know I've been saying that a lot, but I am going to talk about these specific things that I do when there's nothing I can do. And for most of the struggles that I've been facing this year, there was technically nothing I could do. When it came to MDM practices, there were sometimes things that I could do, but my time is so limited and I needed to exercise so much more faith in God and others and let them have the autonomy and freedom and, and ability to create that they needed that I again needed to change to give them that. Like it wasn't that I needed to do more. It's that I needed to think differently and be different. Again, I've got to change me. I've got to grow if I'm going to face the new demands that I'm facing in a, in a better way, in the right way, in a more godlike way. Okay. So I mentioned prayer. Obviously I'm praying a lot. I pray aloud most of the time in my closet because it feels more conversational to me. It feels more real to me. Uh, it keeps my mind on track much better. And I can pause and give myself listening time. I use Jesus's prayer in the New Testament as a guide for the formula for prayer. So all of the different components of of a successful prayer are in that prayer. There's things, you know, um, there's components like repenting, forgiving, expressing praise, expressing gratitude, um, all of those different components. And so I've broken that apart. I've taught that to my family on several occasions and I use that formula. Sometimes I do offer just prayers of gratitude and that's incredibly recentering. And also Norman Vincent Peale said something really powerful. I didn't actually look up this specific quote for today, but he talks about prayer in, I think I've mentioned it, The Power of Positive Thinking's really powerful book on some of the concepts I'm going to talk about today. But he mentions that some of the most powerful prayers we say are for strangers or people that we don't know well. That I found that to also be really true. The less investment we have, sometimes the more, you know, the, not that the prayer is more sincere, but it's like we don't have anything to gain by it. And so it's more powerful. My husband recently had a really beautiful experience in prayer where he was just struggling with everything that's gone on with COVID and with people in high places who, um, you know, are corrupt and, and just struggles with all of that kind of thing. And he had brought to his mind where Jesus admonished to admonished us to pray for enemies. And so he started praying for his, you know, quote enemies and felt this incredible peace come to him. So prayer, yes, but how are you praying? Can you up your game, right? Can you Pray for your enemies. Can you pray for strangers? Can you pray aloud? Can you use more um, components of prayer? So really upping your game. Um, I'm going to mention something else about prayer that I've started doing this year. I've thought about doing it in past years, but I just, I don't know. I needed it this year. It's been a huge help. I've been writing prayers. Now I am a writer, so maybe that's something that is better for me than for others or comes more naturally or whatever. But I get myself into a prayerful state where I'm feeling a sense of inspiration 
and then I'll write out a prayer and often I'll write prayers for others. And I've found that these prayers, they're the more specific, the better. Really asking for God to intervene in very specific ways, you know, recall this to their minds, um, do this thing or that thing, that kind of, you know, help them want to reach out, help me know ways I can improve the relationship. Very, very specific things. And, you know, one of one of the people close to me that struggled this year is one of my daughters. And I wrote this prayer for her a few months ago, and I was able to go back to that prayer and identify you know, half a dozen or more specific things that I asked for that have been brought about, that those prayers have been answered, you know, just miracles have happened. So this is another component of prayer that you could consider instituting when there's nothing that you can do, write prayers. And I actually have them taped up on my wall. I'll go back and reread them as part of my prayer experience. I'll read them aloud as a prayer again and repray that same prayer and ask for those things repeatedly. One of the things that I have up on my, I have some quotes and scriptures on my prayer wall. I have some pictures of people that I'm wanting to pray for, um, seeing them in a really good place and us together or whatever the case might be. I also have, um, Images that remind me, that ground me. One of the things that I have up on my prayer wall is the unjust judge. So this, again, is something from the New Testament where Jesus tells the story. He actually is talking about prayer. I can't actually give you the reference. Maybe it's in Mark or John. I can't remember. But anyway, he says, you know, how should we pray? And then he gives this parable of the unjust judge. And he talks about how... There's uh, this widow and she's been unjustly treated and she goes to court and the judge, you know, rules against her or whatever. And he does or no, he doesn't really get he he doesn't want to hear the case. He keeps throwing her out. He keeps like, you know, ignoring her. And she's just tenacious. She goes back and goes back and goes back and goes back and won't leave the judge alone. And even though he's unjust, even though he's not a good guy, just to get her off his back she's like, he's like, just give her what she wants. And so Jesus is basically kind of helping us understand better how to have this connection to God in prayer by talking about this repetition is necessary. Consistency is necessary. And I think I've told some stories in the past about, you know, times when I've prayed basically the same prayer for the same thing for months. So when there's nothing that you can do, you can probably up your game with prayer. In writing these prayers, it's helped me to pray for the exact specific things over and over again, which has been incredible. And then I've been able to watch those prayers being answered. So it's just been a phenomenal experience all the way around. Pull out Jesus's prayer, read that parable of the unjust judge, use use your scripture for that, you know, write prayers. And then the other thing I do with prayer is that I keep a prayer journal. So I just have a a commonplace book, a a notebook in the closet with me and a pen. And when I feel God telling me to do certain things, take certain actions, or I just have insights or paradigm shifts that are helpful, I write them down. And sometimes when I'm 
in kind of this morning routine, getting myself really centered and in a good place, I will reread some of those past things from my prayer journal. And it's really, really helpful because God has shared things with me that were specific to me that I needed to know that I needed to remember. And so they're in my prayer journal. Now I'll tell you another thing that I do is I take that a step further and I have index cards. So when I come across a particularly powerful quote, scripture verse, or like insight in prayer that I know I've got to remember that's that really is speaking to me in a powerful way, I write it on these index cards and I keep them in the closet with me. Sometimes if there's one or two that are especially powerful and I just need them, then I'll carry them around in my pocket for the day and look at them periodically. So I'm really like trying to keep these these insights, these tools, these kind of messages from God with me all day long and kind of carry him with me in that way. So that's kind of a, that's prayer, but it's a lot of different aspects of how I'm utilizing prayer and making it much more robust and powerful for me in my life and carrying it with me throughout the day. And I, as I mentioned with these prayers on my wall or in my prayer journal, Another thing that I do in conjunction with some of this prayer and writing is that I will go back and mark promise, you know, mark things that have been fulfilled. And that increases my faith, right? Like that's that's proof, that's evidence that I am working with God and that it's working. And so that's really really important to increase my faith, increase my faith, increase my faith because I can see this is working. I'm praying, I'm talking to God, I'm exercising faith. He's listening to me. He's bringing those things about. This partnership is working, you know. And in conjunction with that, I will say another thing that I have done when I'm having an especially hard moment is to imagine God with me, sitting by me, walking through with me, being there with me. Um, And also, I think I've mentioned this recently, my dad passed away when I was 16 and I'll imagine him with me as well sometimes, which is very comforting and helpful. So let me talk to you about a few other things that I'm doing that are also helping me to be different when things are hard, when there's nothing I can do. These are the things that I do. If there's someone in particular that I'm struggling with or that seems to be struggling that I particularly want to help, then another practice that I do is keeping the very best image of them in my mind at all times. So I ask God to help me see them as he does. I also take time to write down good things about them and try to notice those things and really focus in and hone in on the good about them. My son had a really powerful experience recently. He, we have this mission-driven teen group and there was one other teen in this group in particular, the two of them were struggling a little bit. And he was, we learned about drama and he, you know, he would talk about it in a really victim type way. And through our conversations, I was trying to help him see, you know, you really are kind of being a victim. You need to see this situation as a challenge and that your mentors can be your coaches and God can be your coach and you can really be a creator. You can create the kind of relationship that you want to have. And so he prayed about what to do. And of course, one of the you know, we do a lot of these um, tests in level one 
to discover our strengths and gifts. And so what God told him to do, which I thought was really amazing, was to learn about this person's strengths and gifts. And so kind of going along with what I'm saying here, as he's done that, like now, instead of these are the things about this person that are a challenge to me or that seem to be causing trouble for me. Now, when they're interacting, he's got running through his mind, all the good things about that person. And I have watched that relationship soften and begin to grow. And I see that his way of being, when his way of being started to change, then it really started to change for him. You know, the relationship really started to change. So again, he can't change them, but he can change him. He changed his perception and he became a creator instead of a victim. And he saw their strengths instead of their weaknesses and things started to change. One of the caveats I want to make here, you know, one of the things I want to say is I want to make sure that you don't think that I'm promising you that you can change other people. We can absolutely not change anyone but ourselves. And a couple stories I want to share at the end here are about situations where the relationship got better. And I just want to make sure that you understand that the relationship will always get better when you're better. The relationship will always feel better to you and be easier to navigate for you, even when the person hasn't changed, but almost always they will change toward you. Now, they might not change in the way they're living their life or the choices that they're making in general. But, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is if I'm the way I should be toward people because I'm being as God-centered as I possibly can, they are just, I am, I'm more likely to influence them. Like if influence is my goal, the more I am a creator, the more I see the good in them, the more I focus on what's going right. Um, and the more I see them as God does and treat them the way they deserve to be treated, even if they're not asking to be treated that way, the more opportunity there might be for influence, the greater likelihood there would be, right? And then of course, if they see in me what looks more like a God-centered life, then maybe they would want that for themselves. And maybe through me, they can feel a little bit of God's love. And then maybe that affirming love can then influence their life. So honestly, I guess the central message of this podcast today is that when you think there's nothing you can do, there is so much you can do. So much more than you would imagine that you can do. And when you do that, everything changes. Even if the situation doesn't look a lot different from the outside, you are so different that it looks different and feels different to you. I'll also watch my language. Somebody taught me years ago, some book I read or something was talking about how it's not really faith if I pray for certain things when I'm like on my knees or whatever, and then I stand up and go throughout my day and talk as if that thing isn't going to happen. So let's say I'm, I'm praying for a job, but then all my interactions and even my self-talk, my internal talk is like, I don't know how it's ever going to happen. I don't know whoever's going to hire me. You know, I'm praying for it, but I don't really know. Well, then I'm actually not exhibiting faith. I'm actually in, in fear and doubt. And I've I've given out other podcasts around that concept as well. So I watch my language. I make sure that the things I say about myself, about my ability to handle the situation, about the other person are positive and optimistic. I expect God to intervene, you know, and I say things to myself and to other people 
that are full of faith, that God is helping, that he's in the details, that he's going to answer my prayers, that things are going to come about and work for my good, that I'm going to learn by it, that I'm getting better, that he's coming to my aid, all of those kinds of things. And and so, of course, in conjunction with that, true statements, which I don't have time to get into, obviously, is something that we teach in more detail in the academy. But I'm writing true statements regularly. The cards from scriptures or quotes or insights from prayer usually become my true statements. I'm carrying around, like I said, I'm, I'm writing them on my cards. I'm carrying them around throughout my day. They're helping me keep my language in check. They're helping my keep me keep my internal dialogue in check. And so I'm just filling myself with faithful thoughts all day long by only thinking in terms of this thing working out for the best. And that... God is in is is there and aiding and listening and supporting. Another practice that I do, we talked about this in the mastermind group in the spring and actually did this practice together for a month when COVID started, and that is daily gratitude. I, I miss a day now and again, but most days I don't miss. I try to write five. Sometimes they turn into truth statements that I actually carry through the day, but I do make sure that I'm writing that gratitude and thinking on what I have and thinking on what's good and right in my life. And that really empowers my day and increases my faith in those kinds of things. Of course, part of this practice is daily scripture reading. I'm finding verses, you know, you, you can choose to read stories that you know that will inspire and uplift you. You can, you know, look for specific verses around like faith or hope or whatever it is. You can use scripture in whatever way you need to, but, you know, as Norman Vincent Peale said, saturating yourself with the most inspiring, faithful, encouraging words, you know, ever written is really going to make all the difference in your day, filling your mind with those. So sometimes I'll take an extended period of time for scripture reading, and then I'm writing some of the things, you know, I'm looking up words or I'm writing. I also will copy out scripture verses that um, mind body touch point with that. I'll write it in my prayer journal. I write it on my card. It helps send it into my memory banks and make it part of me. So that's a huge one. I also will listen to things or read things that build my faith. So I'm getting God's words through prayer and through scripture in my mind, but also the words of other men and women who inspire me, who have lived faithful lives, who have stories to tell that encourage and uplift. So, you know, you can turn them on while you're making dinner, while you're doing the laundry, while you're driving the kids around, you can listen to them with your kids, just those things that are going to lift you up, that are going to be positive and optimistic. I mean, life is hard enough. We live, you know, in a, in a world, you know, filled and, and, and our news is really negative. And even if all that was hard for you this year was COVID, even though for me and many others, there were other things that were really hard too. staying, you know, choosing in on optimism and faithful stories is, and thoughts and words, it's really, really, really helpful. I remind myself often throughout the day that I can control me and that's it and that I'm responsible for me and that's it. Um, obviously, I'm responsible for my children in many ways, but ultimately, I can just control me. I work on my way of being. This is something that we also talk about in the MDM Academy, um, staying out of the box and 
being toward others in an IU relationship. One of the things that I really try to remind myself of is that when someone else is struggling, I shouldn't make it about me because I, I'm reacting to it, right? Like, I don't like it. It's making me feel yucky. But if they're the one in trouble, however they're in trouble, emotionally, physically, spiritually, socially, however they're in trouble, if I'm there making it about me, if I'm, if I'm so caught up in how it's affecting me, I really can't be very much help. So that's why I want to get myself really centered and focused and really heavily yoked to God and really leaning heavily on him so that the, together we can try to navigate the aid that we can give to other people. And so I really try hard not to make it about me, but to, to listen to them. I mentioned that I put up pictures that inspire and recenter me. I do this on my wall in my closet. I have um, pictures up at my office. I also use the screensaver on my phone to focus on my on my goals. And I want to mention something in conjunction with this. It's really, really important to remember. I, I, I've helped, you know, women over the years. But one comes to mind really poignantly because... I was near her. We were close friends and she was struggling in her marriage and she would cry. I mean, there was a period of time where she would cry like every day. And, and I, I understood that it was hard. I mean, I had been through many of the things that she'd been through and I'd cried too. Like it doesn't mean you can't cry. It just means that what was happening to her was that this trial was so all encompassing that she couldn't live her life. Now we have those moments. We have, you know, someone dies, we need to grieve. Like there are big, big moments when things kind of need to be put on hold. But if you've got something in your life that just is not going to go away tomorrow and it's just something you kind of need to live through, my I, what I kept telling her was focus on what's yours. And what I meant by that was you can still have goals and dreams. You can still, you know, this year I've learned, I finally took tennis lessons. Like I've wanted to for so long. I finally went with my son. We took tennis lessons. He fell in love with it. He's getting on a team and we have tennis courts down the street and, you know, we can play tennis almost year round here. And so I, I focused on something that was mine. Of course, I, I poured myself into MDM and I focused on my own goals and that is and so important to still live your life and not feel like the things that you're excited about have to perpetually be on hold because someone in your life is struggling and everything you do has to totally revolve around them. Be there for them. Listen to them. You know, write your prayers for them. Love on them. But also focus on your own goals and dreams and let those fill you up. You know, this goes along with the concept of meeting your needs that we talk about so much in the academy. Continue to meet your needs, but also continue to dream and visualize about things that are important to you that will just fill you up, create more optimism and genuineness, set a better example, right? Like so much of what, you know, we're so caught up in ourselves, sometimes we forget what example we're setting. And so then our kids just you know, or the people around us, they just totally lose it too, because, you know, like, that's what we do is we just lose it. So be careful about that. Um, And then the last one I want to mention here is visualizing. This is from Norman Vincent Peale. Absolutely love this. He says that 
Your expectation must have a clearly defined objective. Lots of people get nowhere simply because they do not know where they want to go. They have no clear-cut, precisely defined purpose. You cannot expect the best if you think aimlessly. And then he goes on on the next page. I believe that if you want to get somewhere, you must decide definitely where you want to be or what you want to accomplish. Be sure it is a right objective. Then photograph this objective on your mind and hold it there. Work hard, believe in it, and the thought will become so powerful that it will, atten- it will tend to assure success. There is a deep tendency to become what your mind pictures, provided you hold the mental picture strongly enough and if the objective is sound. So this is something, of course, that we talked about at the Mothers of Vision event this fall. It's some, a practice that I've been using for many years. I don't necessarily always make the time to sit down and do the visual picturing, but I always keep the vision at the forefront of my mind with my screensaver, just having this, you know, we talked about having a slide, an image that represents that, and keeping that at the forefront of my mind and visualizing what it is that I want, what it is that I want in the relationship with my husband, with my child, what I want in virtue of the women that I'm helping, what I want in terms of my own personal growth and developing my own talents amidst everything else, what I want that I feel like I've wanted to create it, to create for a long time and focus on being a creator. So visualization is key here. And you can use so many of the tools you can visualize in prayer. You can put it up on your wall. Another thing that I've done a lot of is voice memos. When I'm in a really good place, I'll record myself talking about something and go back and listen to myself talking about that thing when I'm in a good place, when I'm in a bad place. I also have written down short little visualizations that I'll listen to. And sometimes I'll sit and close my eyes and listen and actually, you know, run through it. But my mind can, even if I'm driving, like to a large degree, I can see those things happening as I listen to the vision. So those voice memos have also been hugely helpful in reminding me of what it is I actually want. And just moving forward on anything, the smallest thing, you know, get on YouTube tonight and pull up a little drawing class and draw or do, you know, a Bob Ross painting or you know, whatever fills you up, get on the treadmill, uh, whatever it is, make sure you're meeting your needs, make sure you're filling yourself up, make sure you're doing these practices. Those are all the things that you can do when it feels like there's nothing that you can do, when it feels like you're not making progress in certain areas or with certain people or that you're not having influence, influence yourself for the good. You know, set yourself up as the person that's an anchor in that person's life, that when things get hard or they struggle, they know that you see them clearly. They know that you love them completely. They know that you have the kind of life they'd want to have. So they come to you for advice and counsel, and you can then be of influence to them. So I want to finish off with two short stories. One is from, again, uh, the The Power of Positive Thinking. And I want to tell you this story because recently one of the moms from our vision mentoring group, so you could come to the event and participate in that, but then you could also sign up to continue on for two months in group mentoring with me. And this is one of the women that was there. And so one of the things that we read in that group mentoring was this book. So she read the story and this is the story that she's referring to and what she shared the other day in our group. 
it has to do with a lot of the practices that I've been talking about, but especially about holding the vision of where you're headed and what it is that you truly want and being true to that vision of what you really want. And by the way, if you weren't able to join us or you didn't buy the recordings, those recordings are available on the website for, they're just $39. You have them for life. All of the videos, um, the tools that we used and a printable PDF workbook to take you through the event. So you can kind of still experience that. So this is the story that she's referring to. A woman discovered that her husband was drifting from her. Theirs had been a happy marriage, but the wife had become preoccupied in social affairs and the husband had gotten busy in his work. Before they knew it, the close old time companionship was lost. One day she discovered his interest in another woman. She lost her head and became hysterical. She consulted her minister who adroitly turned the conversation to herself. Again, <laughs> There was nothing she could do right about her marriage, but there was a lot she could do about herself. So the minister, instead of trying to fix her marriage or fix her husband, helped her work on her. She admitted to being a careless homemaker and that she had also become self-centered, sharp-tongued, and nagging. She then confessed that she had never felt herself the equal of her husband. She had a profound sense of inferiority regarding him, feeling unable to maintain equality with him socially and intellectually. She had retreated into an antagonistic attitude that manifested itself in petulance and criticism. The minister saw that the woman had more talent, ability, and charm than she was revealing. He suggested that she create an image or picture of herself as capable and attractive. He whimsically told her that God runs a beauty parlor and that faith techniques could put beauty on a person's face and charm and ease in her manner. He gave her instruction in how to pray and how spiritually to picturize. That's the word that Norman Vincent Pill uses for visualizing. And he talks about it as a spiritual principle that we, it's part of the way that we exercise faith is to identify a righteous desire and then picturize Pictureize it, visualize it, and partner with God in it. We talk about that at the event. He also advised her to hold a mental image of the restoration of the old-time companionship, to visualize the goodness in her husband, and to picture a restored harmony between the two of them. She was to hold this picture with faith. In this manner, he prepared her for a most, most interesting personal victory. So here she is. She's doing many of the things that I've been talking about doing. Her prayers are more faithful. Her scripture reading is more um, intense. And she's using these visualizing techniques. About this time, her husband informed her that he wanted a divorce. So when she first started in this practice, things seemed to get worse, but she didn't give up. She had conquered herself to the extent of being able to receive this request with calmness. So cool. She simply replied that she was willing if he wanted it, but suggested a deferral of the decision for 90 days on the ground that divorce is so final. If at the end of 90 days you still feel that you want a divorce, I will cooperate with you. She said this calmly. He gave her a quizzical look, for he had expected an outburst. Night after night he went out, and night after night she sat at home, but she pictured him as seated in his old chair. He was not in the chair, but she painted an image of him there comfortably reading as in the old days. She visualized him puttering around the house, painting and fixing things as he had formerly done. She even pictured him drying the dishes as he did when they were first married. 
she visualized the two of them playing golf together and taking hikes as they once did. She managed this picture with steady faith, and one night there he actually sat in his old chair. She looked twice to be sure that it was the reality rather than the picturization. She perhaps, But perhaps a picturization is a reality, for at any rate, the actual man was there. Because, of course, we're creating the reality that we want to be in, and we have the power to do that as children of God. So she had created this reality. Occasionally he would be gone, but more and more nights he sat in his chair. Then he began to read to her as in the old days. And then one sunny Saturday afternoon he asked, what do you say to a game of golf? The days went by pleasantly until she realized that the 90th day had arrived. So that evening she said quietly, Bill, this is the 90th day. What do you mean? He asked puzzled the 90th day. Why don't you remember? We agreed to wait 90 days to settle that divorce matter. And this is the day. He looked at her for a moment, then hidden behind his paper, turned a page saying, don't be silly. I couldn't possibly get along without you. Where did you ever get the idea I was going to leave you? The formula proved a powerful mechanism. She prayerized, she pictureized, and the sought-for result was actualized. Prayer power solved her problem and his as well. So I want to read you a little story that Jennifer posted in this vision group just the other day to show you that these principles when put into practice can really transform you in the moment and long term. That when it feels like there's nothing that you can do, there is so much that you can do. Jennifer says, I wanted to share a powerful experience that I had yesterday. My family had gathered for an evening tradition of Advent. People left the table frustrated and exhausted with each other, including myself. There had been some high emotion between a couple of family members earlier in the evening that had been repaired by this point, but I was still feeling emotionally drained by it. I was struggling to feel at peace and happy. I decided to go for a drive to try and recenter myself. I decided to listen to Audrey's podcast on being happy. The Mission Driven Mom podcast on being happy. I posted a few weeks ago. She reminded me in that podcast to focus on things for which I'm grateful. She talked about how she'd lost her father and close friends unexpectedly at a young age and of the importance of not going to bed angry. After I listened, I started a prayer of gratitude. I expressed gratitude for specific actions performed by the people in my family who had left me feeling emotionally exhausted. One of them called me in the middle of my prayer. I wanted to stay in my prayer and not answer the phone, but this person usually won't stop calling until I answer. I calmly picked up the phone, and of course, like this woman with her husband, she could calmly do this because she had first worked on herself, and she had gotten herself into a place of gratitude and optimism. So I calmly picked up the phone to learn that this person wanted me to come and emotionally connect before that person went to sleep for the evening. I went and hugged another child and expressed gratitude to that child as she went to sleep. This is where the most powerful experience happened for me. I wanted to connect with my husband. It is common for him to engage in a video game on his phone to unwind in the evening. It is hard to get him off the phone and to get his attention at times. I thought about the story of the wife who envisioned her husband the way she wanted to see him in the power of positive thinking. I just stood by his bed. And I envisioned him putting his phone down and engaging with me. I didn't say a word. 
I just stood there for a few minutes and offered up my vision and prayer to my Heavenly Father. He then set his phone down and looked at me. I thanked him for the meal that he had made for us that evening. I hugged and kissed him. I asked if I could lie down by him and just have him hold me. He agreed. The feelings of frustration and exhaustion that I'm sure that were, we were both feeling started to melt away. We just were silent for a while. He then rubbed my shoulder for me, an all-time favorite act of love towards me. I was struck by the power of gratitude and envisioning the higher version of our loved ones. So that is the power of these principles that can really change you and help you be the positive influence that you hope to be on others. And even if they don't come along at first or even after a while, you can have peace and you can feel full of love, full of forgiveness, resentment-free, which we also talk about in the Academy, because you are so much more powerful than you think you are. And there is always more that you can do when it feels like there's nothing you can do. So I hope those principles and practices have been helpful for you this Christmas season as you gather your family around you and finish off what's been a difficult year for all of us. And I hope that you'll choose just one tool that I've mentioned today and begin doing it and watch how it helps you and blesses the people around you. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you haven't looked at our new opt-ins on the homepage of our new website, you may want to go over there and check those out. We have three new mini workbooks that you can get around certain principles that we teach in the academy. And so I'd encourage you to go check that out. And again, sale is ending. So take advantage of that. If there's any merchandise or if you're thinking about jumping into the academy, go do it. And thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you next time.